tock, tick tock. You know what makes that sound? For whom the tick tock tolls. <laughs> I have a question about tick tock. Yeah. What is it? Quest- no. It's a very specific question. Not a general question like that. It's a very specific question. Uh huh. I need you to answer. Okay. Uh, in sworn testimony. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna shout over me or bully me or can I just answer no, the question? I just want you to answer the question. Okay. Isn't it true that the Chinese Communist Party uses TikTok to access the American internet to commit genocide? No, that's not true. It is true. Shut up. Next question. <laughs> Phew, I thought you were going to ask me, have you now or ever been a member of the Chinese oh, Communist Party? We're way past that. We're oh. way past that. Um, it's amazing how such a non-issue was, you know, at least in the mainstream news cycle. Kind of the issue in the US last week. Yeah. You think I'm joking? Uh, about that. I mean, that, to some extent, that was the tone of the, of the, at least in in the in, in Congress, that was the tone of some of the questioning. Check this out. Does TikTok access the home Wi-Fi network? Only if the user turns on the Wi-Fi. Uh, I'm sorry, I may not understand the. So if I have a TikTok app on my phone and my phone is on my home Wi-Fi network, does TikTok access that network? It will have to to access the network to get connections to the internet. If, if that's the question. Is it possible then that it could access other devices on that home Wi-Fi network? Congressman, we do not do anything that is beyond any industry norms. Um, I believe the answer to your question is no. It could be technical. Let me get back to you. Okay, I'd appreciate it if you could answer that. Could it get access to uh, the average American's uh, refrigerator, for example, and figure out what's inside it? I love it when the Congress... Politicians <clears throat> become informed, mm. like just that morning, they're yeah. briefed by the staffers they start as to how things might work. They have no idea and what they're they talking about. And then they expose their complete ignorance. They have yeah. no brief. They shouldn't be there at all asking questions. You know. Yeah. I have more Check. on that. Do here's you, here's another, that. Yeah, there's another one. Uh, throw that one up, Scotty. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Mr. Chu, I got, I got to hand it to you. You've actually done something that in the last three to four years has not happened, except for the exception of maybe Vladimir Putin. You have mm. unified Republicans and Democrats. Good job. And if only for a day, we're actually unified because we have serious concerns. Uh, do you, does TikTok support good? I mean, <laughs> is TikTok good. a platform for good? <laughs> Just yes or no? I believe yes. Okay. Uh, does TikTok support freedom of speech? Yes, it's one of the commitments I've given this committee. Do you personally support the First Amendment? Um, Congressman, I'm here to talk about TikTok. As the CEO of TikTok? I'm here to talk about TikTok. As the CEO of TikTok, do you support... TikTok supports freedom of speech. Thank you. Does TikTok support genocide? Again, Congressman, I'm here to talk about TikTok. TikTok support genocide. Does TikTok? No. Okay, thank you. So, uh, reclaiming my time. (laughs) (laughs) Is TikTok evil? No, just a yes or no answer will do. <laughs> just, just yes or no. Let's play the BBC one as well. Um, this went on and on, I think, for three days. Yeah. Um, couldn't find this on version on Twitter, but hopefully it'll play for us. This is directly from BBC's website. Even like the British media were like, okay, this is a complete own goal. This is a PR disaster. Like, mm. 
the U.S. Congress people are bullying this guy, you know. You have regular contact with Chinese Communist Party Secretary, Mr. Zhang Fuping, who is your boss at ByteDance, correct? No. Was that TikTok and ByteDance share legal no. teams? You confirmed this, correct? Our general counsel is yes. uh, an American yes no. uh, lawyer, yes. veteran of Microsoft. Also, my colleague, years. Representative Lada, confirmed that your parent company, ByteDance, currently can access user data. Yes. Let's, uh, we have to be yes. more specific. Um, <laughs> yes. You've actually done something that in the last three to four uh, we years saw that has one. not okay. happened, except for the exception of maybe Vladimir Putin. You have unified Republicans and Democrats. If I have a TikTok app on my phone and my phone is on my home Wi-Fi network, does TikTok access that network? It will have to, to access the network to get connections to the Internet, if that's the question. <laughs> is it possible then that it could access other devices on that home Sorry, Wi-Fi Sorry, we saw this one. One last one. This one's definitely just... Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is engaged in psychological warfare through TikTok to deliberately influence U.S. children. There are more than 150 million Americans who love our platform. And we know we have a responsibility to protect them. Oh, my God. Okay, and for me, the... the the cream of the crop, actually, because some of them, you know, like Miss Piggy there, you know, she's probably new to Congress. Yeah. She's kind of, she's not exactly informed about the world, right? But this guy you would expect better from. This is Dan Crenshaw, uh, senator for Texas or representative, senator, I think. And this guy is like World Economic Forum member. He gets attacked, sideswipe big time as a rhino in the U.S. because he's so, you know, hmm. Mr. Cosmopolitan, much more liberal wing of the Republican Party. Okay. Right. See what he grilled him over. In other words, ByteDance and also your TikTok employees that live in China, they must cooperate with Chinese intelligence whenever they are called upon. And if they are called upon, they're bound to secrecy. That would include you. So, Mr. Chu, if the CCP tells ByteDance to turn over all data that TikTok has collected inside the U.S., even within Project Texas... Do they have to do so, according to the Chinese law? Con Congressman, first, I'm, I'm Singaporean. Um, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. That's, that's, um, that's relevant to what I was trying to say. Anyway, um, that had to be said because all week long, everyone assumed he's got slanty eyes. He's the CEO of TikTok. He's yeah, Chinese. I mean, yeah. The man's name is Xu uh, Zi uh, Chu. He's Singaporean, as he pointed out. He holds a U.S. passport. Because he's married to an American woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why he speaks English, probably. It's nothing to do with China or CCP, but this batshittery just goes on and on all week long. I, it's, it's embarrassing. For me, this is like, we wondered, could they go any worse than Chinese spy balloons? Mm. That's worse. That is really like cringe, cringing. Like BBC says, you know, the psychological bullying. Mm. Uh, th this is, whoa, too far, you know? People who are generally supportive of the Western order and, you know, down on Putin and the war in Ukraine are looking at this going, this is, this is an own goal. Like, mm -hmm. what was the point of that? Well, the point of it was, it seems to be the point of it was to um, increase the, um, you know, ongoing anti-Chinese rhetoric in advance of some kind of a conflict with China. Um, <clears throat> consider back in the 1990s, how the American and 
particularly Americans, but Western populations were um, put through a, a process of uh, of indoctrination, uh, anti-Arab, anti-Muslim right. indoctrination leading up to 9-11 and the subsequent uh, war on Islamic terrorism. So it seemed to be either consciously known or just in, an, an instinct among the, the, the political class that the population have to be prepared uh, for a conflict with, um, you know, significant conflict with, with, uh, with another major country. At first um, you need to dehumanize the opponent. Right. As much as you can. In the minds of your, of your home population. And so there is a support. logic to this, as farcical as that all is. Mm along with the balloons. Mm. There's, there is a system-wide logic to it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you could be on something. Like last week we saw, last weekend actually, it was breaking news at the time that Bashar al-Assad had flown to the UAE to mm-hmm. meet um, Mohammed bin Zayman, Zalman, MBZ, as he's known. Um, he, he's arguably the big chief of the Middle East, even more than MBS, of Saudi Arabia. He's, he's kind of the mentor, even though it's a smaller country, they're richer. Uh-huh. Anyway, so that was an opening of <clears throat> that in, just indicated big time for me that the normalization of the Middle East, that that chapter is coming to a close mm-hmm. um, of democratizing the Middle East or, you know, rearranging the energy spigot of the world because the U.S. is backing out of that. On a, in, a, in a systematic way. And here's something that supports that. Well, two, two data points. One, Saudi Arabia this week opened, reopened an embassy with uh, Syria. So again, normalization of ties in the Middle East. But on the Western front, there's this. Um, U.S. military is redeploying material from the Middle East mm-hmm. to Eastern Europe with Ukraine in mind, I guess, but mm-hmm. more importantly to the Pacific with China in mind. Mm-hmm. This was reported in the Wall Street Journal. So um, it's farcical, but there's, there's, a, there's a logic to it. Quote yeah. down there, the imperative is to get the most suitable aircraft to the Pacific for the higher threat challenges. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and of course, what's the threat? The threat is um, anybody, and particularly, obviously, Russia and China, um, challenging, what's the word? Challenging US leadership. Now, this is something, I mean, it's kind of, while it's, it's difficult, like I've mentioned many times, dealing with the kind of clown shoes bullshit that's going on uh, around the world and the amount, uh, the deluge of lies that uh, and misinformation, disinformation is coming out of official sources about pretty much everything, right? Uh, over, you know, really reached a, you know, reached a new high point over the past number of years in terms of the lies and disinformation. If you thought that, you know, authorities lie and manipulate the population in the past, well, geez, you really should have had your eyes opened over the past number of years uh, if you've been paying attention. But back in the day, when we, like when we've been doing this, we've been doing this for quite a long time. And the one lament I always had, and it was, I, mean, I knew there was no way to kind of, um, to, to get any um, satisfaction from it. But um, the lament I had repeatedly after, you know, looking at you know, investigating and writing about it for so long was that I just wish these people 
in, in positions of authority and politicians, etc., will just be honest. They use these manipulative weasel weasel words and, and, and you know, half-truths and quarter-truths and complete lies and stuff that don't match with what they're doing. You know, they, they, they do something that looks like what it is, but then they tell you they're doing sometimes exactly the opposite. They tell you that, that freedom is, or, you know, war is free, war is peace and slavery is freedom and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, you know, I just wish they would just be honest, you know, just, just make your words match what you're doing, you know, because it's really annoying for me to have to, to have to unpick all that for, for, for other people. We got a few wisps of it with Trump where he's like, right. Well, that's the thing. We went to Iraq. Let's, why didn't we get the oil? That kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, recently it seems like as, as it becomes more, more uh, stressful and more, more difficult for the U.S. to 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 cover up under the a banner of freedom and democracy, what it's always been doing around the world, it's having to become more explicit about what it's actually what it is actually doing and has been doing. And of course, it's not just that it's doing this now; it has been doing this for a very long time. This is Kirby um, in the in the uh, at the White House. And it's a, you know, relatively, historically speaking, a rare bit of uh, transparency from him. Just have a listen there. Thank you. Real quick, Thank you. Level, um, yeah. Just real quick, what's yeah. the level of concern uh, about the growing influence of China around the world then? Certainly mindful that China has tried to expand their influence uh, um, uh, all around the world, Middle East, uh, in Africa, in Latin America. Uh, they can speak to their foreign policy goals uh, uh, should they wish to. Um, I can only speak to ours. Um, and our goals are not about countering or, or, or being a block or an obstacle. There's no effort to contain here. It's about yes, advancing what President Biden believes are the appropriate foreign policy goals for this country, for the American people, and for the best interests of our allies and partners. And again, I'll go back to what I said before. Uh, no other nation in the world, none has the uh, network of alliances and partnerships that the United States does, has, has as many friends around the world as the United States does, who are interested in pursuing mm. the same goals. Like Secretary Austin just a week or so ago held the 10th Ukraine defense contact group, more than 50 nations, again more than 50 nations at each and every one. And those are voluntary participation By uh, the way, events. It's not like we're browbeating people to show up. Not at all, no. Agree to contribute to Ukraine. Never happened. That's, that's the power of American convenience. We don't blow, up, we don't don't blow up pipe, pipelines to Out of either Russia or China. Ukraine. These are two countries who do not have that same network of friends and partners. And one of the reasons why that relation, sorry. <laughs> he got me all, he got, he got me, no, no, he got me all lathered up. Well, Freedom. You got me all locked up now, but one of the reasons why you're seeing that that tightening relationship is because they recognize uh, that they don't have uh, that strong foundation of international support for what they're trying to do, which is basically challenge American leadership around the world. All right, last, last question. There you go. Okay, but so one one thing they don't, what the, the reason they're they're acting this way, China and Russia, uh, is because they realize they don't have that network, right? Of, of of friendship and cooperation that that America has. So he's talking about Russia, country with the largest natural resources, available natural resources in the world. That basically is, the, as John McCain said, the gas station of the world. Uh, although that it's not, but you know it it was true to a certain extent. And China, the country with by far the largest, well, the largest population and the, basically the the factory of the world. Mm-hmm. Those two countries are uniting. 
And he thinks that's insignificant. He thinks that's just like, those just people are just desperate. Those two are just desperate to, to, to push back against us because we have, we have all these friends. You know, we've got like Micronesia, we've got Europe and we, sure, we have to blow up their pipelines now and again to get them to fall in line, but they're our friends, obviously, right? And then we've got like, um, who else we've got? We've got New Zealand, we've got Australia, big look. A giant desert of a country with 20 million people. They're our best friends, you know, um, um, and, and we're going to get them to fight against China for us. And then we've got a couple of countries in Asia around China who, uh, we're going to throw at China as well. Uh, <laughs> well, we, well, we, we give them an attaboy and, uh, and see what happens. So that's our wonderful alliance compared to the, these Russians and Chinese who are kind of insignificant and they're desperate and they're flailing. And it's like, you got me all lathered up there, Neil. You know what I mean? It's hard and, to quibble, but you, you <clears> just truthified what he, falsely said you wished he had said what you just said no but uh, he's at least well, saying the I thing he's saying there this. is challenging us he lied on every point but what you have is that finally a u.s government spokesman has been forced to come to the point of issuing a denial to each yeah. in the, the broad strokes and in some of the details yeah. that's where you've got them being at their it's the most toothful they've ever been because they're having to acknowledge and having to issue a denial. And what's the famous thing that people say, the maxim? It's never true until they're forced to issue, right. <laughs> issue a denial. denial. Yeah. I mean, I thought the important point was that he said that what they're trying to do is challenge U.S. leadership, which is a, a, a massive sin, right? Anytime anybody challenges for leadership of anything, that is just the lowest of the low, right? So anybody who does that should be condemned, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the most, in the severest terms, you know, because it's ridiculous for, isn't it true? Like in life in general, that you that nobody ever is allowed to challenge anybody else for leadership of anything. No. Right. That's true. No. Well, that's what John Kirby is, is essentially saying. It's, it's like a, it's, it's, it's like everybody true. knows that there's no way anybody should ever dare have the temerity to challenge us leadership. It's ridiculous. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? These people need to be taught a lesson, right? Challenging. Nobody challenges me. Who do they think they are? In fact, there's a, somebody did a summation of his of that uh, the same the same press conference, and they just kind of broke it down into. Uh, you just played there, Scotty. Broke it down into uh, some short bites. U.S. leadership around the world. U.S. leadership around the world. Uh, America's increasing leadership around the world. U.S. leadership around the world. American <laughs> leadership. The power of American convening leadership. American leadership around the world. He said all that in the same in that same press conference that, that right. many times. It's not they're not repeat; they're separate. Uh. Kirby also said last week, um, talking to Mika Brzezinski, um, "I won't. We won't bother playing it." But he was basically downplaying the reason he's talking about this at all. Of course, because she of China was in Moscow for two days last week. Mm -hmm. He was downplaying this. He was asked, you know, about the growing relationship between Russia and China. He downplayed it again. I said, look, this is merely a marriage of convenience, mm -hmm. you know, temporary, fleeting. I I've got to wonder, do they really think that? I don't think so. I think their actions will speak more, will speak a greater truth than right. the again. words they're saying. And right. their actions are, in one example, which is all from the Wall Street Journal, they're redeploying war material in a big way from the Middle East. They're pivoting to Asia as Obama first announced. In if it's just if it's just a marriage of convenience, uh, then what's there to worry about, right? Yeah. Why would why would you get concerned about it? why are you redeploying any weapons anywhere? Why are you talking about America having to go go to war with China in the next couple of years, et cetera, et cetera? If it's just a marriage of convenience, right? Um, 
Why, why, why are they, why are they crapping their pants about this love in between uh, Putin and, and G, you know, uh, yeah. in, in Moscow? Why is that so, why, why is that such a concern? Why is it, why do you keep talking about Ukraine then? Why are you getting worried about Ukraine? Why are you warning and threatening China that it better not, uh, provide any, uh, weapons, uh, to, to Russia for Ukraine? Uh, yeah. If it's just, if it's all just convenience, it's all superficial. It's, it's hollow. It's while it's, spending the entire week. Telling everyone like Kirby was doing, we're still number one, baby. We're still mm. number one. Yeah. <laughs> don't I mean, let any, don't let anyone think otherwise. If you keep saying it enough, it might come true. You know, that's usually the way it goes, right? If you just keep saying something, then eventually you might. Uh, China is not allowed to send weapons to Ukraine, but Jesus, the EU has announced another two billion dollars worth of yeah. send shells. We have one million shells. You know, you know how long that'll last. At, at the, at well, the at least current at the rates. fire rate of that Russia has been using in the last seven weeks. Nuts. Russia was firing 20,000 shells per day. So 140,000 per week. Nuts. 140,000 artillery shells per week. Ukraine a lot less because they're having trouble uh, uh, matching that. But if they wanted to match the, uh, the amount of Russian firepower in Ukraine with 1 million shells in the last Ukrainian seven weeks. Um, Let's and of course, they're going to take, how long is it going to take to produce a million shells? You're talking like two years down the line. Every single. They claim within, they'll have them within a year. Yeah, they claim. Uh, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> they claim. And, uh, um, yeah. Let's come back to, let's, let's as, um, <clears throat> Saki would say, let's circle back to Ukraine. Circle back there. Um, while we're on, um, China, 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 China. Uh, she was in Moscow. This is old hat now, but uh, it happened since our last show. Um, it was just two days, not three, but whatever. 14 statements, protocols, memoranda, and agreements on everything from joint scientific research to military cooperation to trade. One such agreement, this is a small fry one, but think about the implications of this. The governments of Moscow and Beijing agreed to cooperate in producing a joint television programming broadcaster. <clears throat> mm -hmm between the main Russian one, VGTRK, and China Media Group. That was one of the memoranda of cooperation. In addition, state news agencies TASS and Xinhua also agreed to um, set up a new joint platform. That could be huge. I mean, it's just words for now, but think of <clears throat> the inroads in an information sense that RT and Sputnik made with their tiny budgets. Mm-hmm. To the point that they just have to be banned. Mm -hmm. We can't, they were like, shit, we can't compete with them. The most viewed news outlet online. Okay, let's just ban them. Now you're going to have that kind of informational content with Chinese money behind it mm -hmm. and satellites and comm systems. They won't be able to ban. If, when that comes to fruition, it's a new, it's a new information. You can't flood the zone anymore or just censor it. They'll try, but. Mm -hmm. it, it, that'll fail on the, on the face of it. Um, I, this thing about it being fleeting and, you know, merely a marriage of convenience, I don't know what more Putin and Xi could have done to make it any clearer how freaking serious they are about, quote, a deep and comprehensive strategic partnership. Mm -hmm. Quote from RT, as part of his toast, the Russian president quoted from the I Ching <laughs> to say that the Russian and Chinese people have a, quote, common soul and can overcome any obstacle with their joint strength. Hmm. That's pretty, um, it's not very superficial. Multiple deals were announced, but of course we don't know what else was said behind closed doors. Somehow, though, I don't know, by accident or whatever, there's a hot mic, and as they're departing in that fond farewell, and uh, Trump noted this, he saw it, 
it wasn't reported on the news, but it, it was shared online. Um, but don't play it. Have you seen it? What? The clip of them saying goodbye and she saying to Putin. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. That we change, <clears throat> we're going, <clears throat> we're undergoing now changes that haven't been seen in a hundred years. And the West knows this. We saw the Telegraph headline last week that from their perspective, again, it's been a hundred years since we, the Western order, have been challenged like this. <clears throat> Don't have the subs. There's no subs, but it's provided in caps above there. <clears throat> G to Putin, change is coming that hasn't happened in a hundred years. And we are driving this change together. Putin, I agree. <clears throat> um, Trump isn't allowed on MSN, but he is, you know, interviewed by Newsmax and other sources. Um, do you want to hear his comments on it? On the meeting. Uh, on the meeting, and specifically that he thought he thought that was significant. He's like, people, like this is this is really bad for us. But he didn't just say it was bad in the same way. I suppose that like Kirby would rail against it. He he wanted to draw attention to it. You know, um, yeah. to explain to Americans the significance of it. Because remember, Kirby at the official level, at the rhetoric level, is telling Americans he's poo pooing it. Mm -hmm. ah, this isn't serious. Trump says, no, this is serious. Mm -hmm. Have a listen. But I thought the scene in uh, Moscow yesterday where Putin and she are talking, and they're talking about how it is a big reset, like there hasn't been in 100 years. I thought that was an incredible statement. I've got very little press because the News is fake, but it was a terrible, terrible statement when they were talking together on a hot mic. Just think of this. Russia and China and Iran have now gotten together and formed alliance. That that would be impossible. You know, Russia and China are, by nature, they it's very hard for them to get together. We have forced them together because of really stupid energy policy. And now you add Iran... And now you can add Saudi Arabia, too, because all happened on the Biden watch. Yeah. yeah. It's unbelievable. We've, we've lost so much that, stature in think, the world. Robert, yeah. very importantly, to think that uh, right. So he's basically right. Things are snowballing. It's happening fast. He's just taking note. Obviously, he's saying it's bad, from my point yeah. of view. And he's correct. Objectively, it is. But well, listen, to, listen to what he said. Trump said, I think, obviously, I think it's just yesterday or at a rally. At, uh, yeah, maybe t yesterday, Saturday. Yeah, have a listen here. Either the deep state destroys America or we destroy the deep state. That's the way it's got to be. We're at a very pivotal point in our country. Either we descend into a lawless abyss of open borders, rampant killings, super hyperinflation, which is what we have right now and not coming down, and festering corruption, or we evict Joe Biden and the Democrats from the White House and we make America great again. He's not, he's not quitting, like, you know. Um, he also said at that one that um, our enemy is neither Russia nor China, but they're right here at home. They're high-level politicians and bureaucrats. Yeah. Well, you can see how what he said that in, he, that, in that interview, Jives, with what he said there, that, I mean, the reason, the, the problem for America standing in the world uh, that is caused caused by the by American policies forcing Russia and China together and upending the the the, the safe um, kind of um, 
the safe political organization of the of the Middle East as it has been up until recently, you know, with Saudi Arabia in America's pocket, the you know, petrodollar, the petrodollar basically upending all of that. That that um, is caught has been caused by the deep state. That's as a result of their policies, and it poses a direct threat to America's standing in the world, and um, and therefore to, to to do anything about that right now, not just in terms of those foreign policy issues, but also in terms of domestic policy issues, like you mentioned, immigration, all that kind of stuff. Um, they have to get rid of the, that that cabal in Washington D.C. that is running the whole thing into the ground. But just I can't I can't let this one go. Actually, this is on, on that <laughs> that meeting. Uh, this is Trump. That that's that uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's it called? Uh, a political rally. Rally. Yeah. Uh, this is Trump arriving. He's going to parachute out. That's not uh, Donald Trump coming, that's Tom Cruise. Oh, no, sorry, it's Maverick. Maverick is in that plane with Donald Trump. And come to take back America. <coughs> it's, uh, that's, that's, that's he, conservative he, America could, right there. He, if I'm he sorry, could, folks. he would freeze the US in the 1980s, you yeah. know? Or, or transport it back then, yeah. Um, that was funny. <laughs> it's just, uh, but ultimately, Trump is also wrong. This is not just that the Biden administration or, or even, you know, the last 10 years, say, of the deep state working behind Trump while he was president. Well, it goes back a long time. It goes back a long time. Let's, let's check this out. This is 1997. Arguably, what happened in Moscow last week is... The culmination, or rather, the, the, the fruition, the coming to fruition of a 25 year plan. This is B- CNN reporting in 1997 of the then president of China flying into Moscow for a two day summit in which they sign a pact. The leaders of Russia and China in 1997 signed a joint declaration pledging to seek a multipolar world with no one country dominating the international order. Mm. Down the bottom there, Yeltsin says about it, we want the world order to be multipolar, to have several focal points. These will be, these These will form the basis of a new world order. Yeah. That was Yeltsin, the pro-Clinton, pro-US. 25 years ago. 1997. That's, it took a long time (laughs) coming to fruition, like, you know, but of course it was put, it was pushed back all the way from, uh, from the Americans, the Americans, arguably you can say the Americans knew that back then, but like nobody, you don't, we don't remember that, right? Nobody at the time paid any attention to that, but people in Washington DC paid attention to that back then and they oh, knew yeah. about it before then. That, that idea of the US losing its hegemony in the world and not, no longer being the world's policeman and the top dog, um, was a major problem in the 1990s, was seen as a major upcoming problem that they had to do something against, something about. Uh, 9-11 arguably was that new Pearl Harbor that they said in the PNAC document that they needed a galvanizing event in order to mobilize the American population psychologically, emotionally, and the political class 
to get the military over out into strategic areas of the world, notably the Middle East and Afghanistan. Forward <clears throat> operating bases. And into Asia in order to secure the realm, right? To secure yeah. American hegemony going forward. Uh, and they were successful for, you know, a lot of those, the 25 years since then. Um, but these other countries, obviously at the time, China and uh, Russia, who were planning something else that the Americans were pushing back against by by taking the, the launching this effectively this war on terror, um, this war for glo- American global hege- hegemony for securing it, uh, they, you know, the American, uh, uh, the Russians and the Chinese, um, continued on with their plan. Basically, it was it, it was made more difficult, and the Americans, like I said, pushed back against it. But ultimately, there was no way that the Americans were ever going to be able to, for you know, lock it in forever. And it's this, it's that, it's that lack of. Um, I don't know, lack of common sense, lack of uh, reality-based thinking. Lack of acceptance of... Of reality uh, that has... is causing all of the problems that we have in the world today, basically. It's the refusal to accept reality and the changing reality and the fact that reality is always going to change and you can't always remain top dog in, you know, and and handing out orders to everybody in a world such as ours where you have other countries who have as as, as much right, if not more right than you do to to take terms in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So it was an epic summit. Now Pepe Escobar reckons it buries Pax Americana. We shall see about that. But he may be correct about something about the timing of it because <clears throat> the opening day was March nineteenth. He arrived actually. Nineteenth was the anniversary of the launch of the Iraq War. Twentieth anniversary. Um, mm. Maybe there's that. It also coincided, I mentioned it last week, it coincided with the second Russia-Africa parliamentary conference. Mm-hmm. Putin actually st- stepped away from working meetings with Xi to give a speech at that event on the Monday. Mm-hmm. There were 40 delegations from Africa in Moscow all last week. Um, Xi did not attend. I thought he might, but he didn't. But Putin did. Um, he... Russia announced it was writing off another $20 billion in debt to Africa, uh, pledged all the grain, fuel, and fertilizer, and I'm quoting Putin here, that the Europeans stole last year, that was for you from Ukraine. Um, we are going to instead give you the same. We're going to fulfill those contracts free of charge from Russia. I mean, that was epic in itself. He said something else, uh, <clears throat> added about... Um, that ties it all together. It's talking about financing um, and the use of the, the yuan in Eur- Eurasian, Russia and its neighbors, and trade with the whole of Africa. So, последовательно поддерживал в становлении государственности, укрепление обороноспособности, 
создании основ национальной экономики, подготовки кадров. Символом такого сотрудничества в свое время стало сооружение советскими специалистами крупнейшей в Африке Асуанской гидроэлектростанции. И линии на поддержку и помощь континенту We'll end that there. That's not actually the clip I had in mind where he talks well, about um, the trade being settled in domestic currencies. But right. anyway, but it was tied with what he said with, I didn't know this, but at this point, just in the last two years, two thirds of trade, inter country trade between Russia and China is in local currencies, mm -hmm. ruble and one. But, and there, he was stressed in that speech, apparently there's a clip there where he wants that to happen with Africa as well. Like, mm -hmm. like now, not let's wait and see. Mm -hmm. Now's the time, guys. Yeah, but it'll all, it'll all be to no avail, Neil, because there's a, just, just 15 hours ago, basically, uh, this happened. <laughs> Kamala Harris's Africa trip. Can the US charm offensive woo the continent from China? Of course it can. With Kamala Harris at the helm, how could it not? America's She's first black president i mean vice president <laughs> wait is she black oh. she she's um hang on a second what about barack obama you sent him yeah uh yeah and the other thing about africa is uh in the g20 leader this year is in south africa and south africa is oh, a yeah. signee to the icc international right. criminal court um so if putin goes if putin goes to the g20 which he probably will and should then the South Africans theor theoretically would be required to um, arrest him and hand him over to the Hague. Do you think that's going to happen? No chance. Probably not, um, for lots of different reasons, not least of which is the fact that you know South Africa has you know, uh, a good relationship with Russia and probably wouldn't want to uh, create a, uh, <laughs> uh, do anything to sour that. Um, but also there's a history I think it, it happened before in South Africa there was someone else who was wanted by the, the, the ICC uh, quite a long time ago and um, by, the, the, by the time they I can't, I can't remember who it was Someone maybe it was an African uh, from another African country anyway uh, Russia they, funded and armed the ANC for God's sake right they don't forget that yeah and also the Brits the Brits supported apartheid you know uh, the Dutch supported apartheid um, yeah um, something atrocious happened. Just actually, Z was midair on his way to Moscow, and this happened on the eve of his visit um, in the Central African Republic. Um, gunmen descended on a mine in the CAR and executed in cold blood nine Chinese engineers who were working on a gold mine there. Mm -hmm. If you scroll down to coalition, do a, maybe do a first search and find for coalition. This was initially reported as being the work of a, as kind of a civil war going on, the CAR and one of the rebel groups is called the coalition of Patriots for change or mm -hmm. CPC. However, the rebel coalition, initially blamed by some for the attack, put out a statement later in the day. Without providing evidence, it accused Russian mercenaries from the Wagner group of being behind the violence. Mm -hmm. So somebody did something there, apparently in a message or in some attempt to sour Xi's meeting because he was about to land in Moscow. 
that's the kind of shit that goes on. Mm -hmm. That mine had just opened three days earlier. Mm -hmm. This is a country where until this mine opened by the Chinese, only French companies and Mm -hmm. interests had owned gold mines in the CAR since the scramble for Africa in the 19th century. So a three day old Mm -hmm. first time at Chinese and a non-European, non-Western interest. And then there's an atrocity there. Mm-hmm. Dodgy. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And I wonder who's carrying out those atrocities. Well, I mean, Matt Gates, um, this, uh, this week in, in Congress was talking to the leader of U- the U S military's Africa command, um, about what the U S military is doing in Africa, what it gets up to, um, and whether or not well, they're, the, they're wooing like Kamala, no? Well, I mean, they've been there for a long time, you know, uh, but I don't think the military is necessarily wooing. They're doing a different kind of wooing, let's say, not at the political level. Um, So Matt Gates wants to know if the U.S. Military Africa Command, uh, he's asked them if uh, the American government uh, shares the core values with certain leaders, military leaders in Africa, that the U.S. has been supporting. So you have a, have a listen. We won't listen to all of it, but. General Langley, I have constituents that have been scattered across Africa on train and equip missions. So just ballpark in the last decade, how many Africans has the United States military trained and equipped? Congressman, I don't have that, that figure. I can get that figure for you. <laughs> ballpark. Just, you know, how many? Uh, Congressman, it would be a wild, it would be a wild guess, right? Seems like something we should know, right? Over the years, um, we have trained a substantial number, especially in the, the Gulf of Guinea uh, states. Um, uh, but and including like more than um, ten thousand, it is more than ten thousand. More than fifty thousand. I'd say we're, we're reaching around fifty thousand okay. at least. And, and, and what percentage of the people we've trained? end up participating in insurrections or coups against their own government? Very small number, Congressman. Very small number. So what percentage do you think? I'd say probably less than 1%. But it does uh, happen. The, right? I, the IMET program is in, in force, in, uh, uh, and we've pushed a number, uh, a significant number through our schools uh, across the yeah, And, and what data sets do you track to arrive at the conclusion that less than 1% of the roughly 50,000 that we've trained have participated in coups? Because um, it would be like about 500, about 1% of 50,000. Uh, Congressman, you may have that information. I, I don't at this time. But I know well, I know there are one. some, right? Like in, go ahead and throw up that image. This is uh, Colonel Mamade Dumbuya, and this is a photo of, of him. Did we train and equip him? In Guinea? Uh, by name, I, I cannot identify that. Well, that guy in the middle with the big red hat, Colonel <laughs> Mama that, that him with a bunch of U.S. service members outside of our embassy. And just months <laughs> think after we trained this him? photo was taken in 2021, he led a coup in Guinea and, and threw out the, the leader. Does that concern you? Not at all. Core values is what we start <laughs> off with in the IMF <laughs> programs. Do we share Stick core values with Colonel Dembuya? <clears throat> Core values. I will repeat that. Core values. Say that again. No, right Just keep saying do core we values. Share those values with Colonel. Absolutely. In our in our curriculum. He let a coup. We do. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we do. In Burkina Faso, did we share core values with the uh, leader that we trained there, who led a coup? 
It's in our curriculum. We stress core <laughs> values. We request civilian-led governance. Wait, wait, uh, so, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is leading coups in our curriculum? <laughs> Absolutely not. So, civilian-led. Civilian-led. My question is: Do we share core values with the coup leader in Burkina Faso, who we train holistically? We teach whole uh, uh, you know, core values uh, with a respect for civilian governance, apolitical. But and that's sometimes it doesn't stick. Across, uh, All right, we can leave it there. Anyway. Gotta love Gates. You know, 30, 50, 40, 50 years ago would have been the progressive left congressman doing that. Mm-hmm. But no, now the only one who bothers to actually broach any of these topics, like he did with Syria two weeks ago, is mm-hmm. a MAGA Republican representative. Right. Arden Trumper. He was at the Trump rally this week, big up. Maybe he was in Florida. That's why he co attended. Mm-hmm. Speaking of core values, uh, American core values, um, and something I think, you know, we didn't miss it at the time, but I missed this specific um, interview. Um, This is um, Senator Murphy. What's his first name? I don't know his first name. Um, Anyway, he's current U.S. Senator. Um, <clears throat> and here he's talking about um, uh, go up to the top actually Just scroll up a little bit yeah go up to the top one um, this is on C-SPAN February 2014 around the time <clears throat> the Maidan protests or Maidan um, yeah Maidan protests in Ukraine 2014 and this is him he had just become a senator in 2014 2013. Uh, so here he is, and he um, talking about he's talking about that event and uh, U.S. policy towards Ukraine. Have a listen. So, what is the best way the U.S. can help in this uh, situation? Well, I, I think the United States' strong voice in support of the peaceful protest movement um, is a big part of the story as to why there is an opportunity now uh, for the Ukrainian people to get what they want. Early on, the United States said that um, that peace should be observed in that square. We came down hard on Yanukovych when he violated. Uh, that piece when he sent uh, his forces into the square repeatedly to clear it, ultimately over the course of the last week, resulting in dozens of people killed. Uh, And I think it was our role, including sanctions and threats of sanctions that forced in part Yanukovych from office now, uh, the question is what can we do to support this new government? There's going to be a lot of talk about an assistance package. Right, so our role was significant in ousting Yanukovych. Right. This is uh-huh. this is the this is the coup in Ukraine, 2014, that led to the war in Ukraine today. And although he implied that the snipers who killed all those protesters were Yanukovych, they weren't Yanukovych. No, but well, it doesn't matter. But go back to it and go to the next one. Go ahead. Well, I really don't think that this is a proxy fight between the United States and Russia. I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. want to make this into sort of the new chapter in a new Cold War, but it's not. This is really about supporting one of the biggest, most important countries in the Eurasian region, um, be able to determine for themselves what their future is. 
Uh, and it looks to people like this is the United States and Russia once again uh, fighting, maybe not in military terms, but on economic terms uh, in uh, a country that we both care about. But really, ultimately, I think this is about us supporting the wishes of Ukraine. And, um, you know, the, there is a U.S. interest uh, here. We are in the middle of negotiating a new trade agreement with Europe. Mm. Um, to my state, it's enormously important. We do 40 percent of our trade in Connecticut with Europe. Um, if Ukraine is part of the European Union um, and thus is part of this new trade agreement with the United States, that could result in billions of dollars in new mm -hmm. economic opportunities for the U.S. So we do have an economic interest in the Ukraine being part of the European in Union. Ukraine. We shouldn't be shy about um, making clear that interest. Yeah, indeed. And, poly and, pulling and pulling Ukraine away from Russia through a violent coup that the U.S. supported. Let's go to the next one. For more money, for me. I, I don't, I will admit to you that I have not been involved, as involved in what's happening in Venezuela um, over the last week because I've been focused as the chairman of the Europe subcommittee on Ukraine. But um, I, with respect to Ukraine, we have not sat on the sidelines. We have okay. been um, very much involved, uh, mm. members of the Senate who have been there, members of the State Department who have been on the square, the administration, the Obama administration passed sanctions. Uh, the Senate uh, was prepared to pass its own set of sanctions. And as I said, I really think that the uh, clear position of the United States has in part been what has helped lead to this change in uh, regime. So um, cool. I know that there is merit in the claim that um, the United States sort of has these principles and then we selectively apply them. We get involved in certain places and then we don't get involved in uh, other places. But um, I think if ultimately this is a peaceful transition to uh, a new government in Ukraine, it'll be the United States on the streets of Ukraine who will be seen as a great friend in helping make that transition happen. Buddy is from <laughs> it was a coup, dude. Go to the next one. Hey, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. All right. Uh, you know, my concern of being a child of the Cold War is always uh, a threat from, you know, the East. And uh, I was concerned with how this moving forward could lead to some type of global conflict. Whenever we seem to have these elections that are monitored or the United States is involved or Europe's involved, it seems to eventually end with some type of violence. Um, I was concerned with that violence escalating on a global scale between Russia and the European Union or mm -hmm. with the United States' involvement in potential conflict between those two superpowers. Got that one. There certainly is um, some concern uh, about what Russia is going to do over the course of the next uh, week or month. Um, I think it's irresponsible to talk about the potential for Russia to move some kind of offensive force into the Crimea, which is the, um, which happened the about coastal region later. of Ukraine that has a Russian military base and a lot of the important ports. Um, that would be a, a fundamental grave mistake on behalf of the Russians, and I think they, they know uh, that that would essentially lead it to a descent to madness. Uh, so I don't worry that this is going to result in any kind of military confrontation between um, the U.S. and Europe and Russia. <laughs> Ten years later. And then there's just one more below it's worth, worth listening to as well. I want to segue into something else. Buddy is from McLean, Virginia. Independent line for Senator Chris Murphy. Hi, uh, I just have a few points. And uh, thank you for allowing me to call C-SPAN, by the way. Hello? You're on, go ahead. Oh, hi. 
Uh, yeah, so um, I'll just have uh, three quick points, and then I'll take the answers off the air. The first one is, isn't it true that Yanukovych was elected uh, for the first time in 2010 for one five-year term? That elections mm-hmm. were scheduled for 2015. Exactly. Uh, the second point is, uh, why is it okay for foreign ministers from other countries to show up during protest movements, uh, let's say in Ukraine, like the foreign ministers of Poland and, and, and Germany, and support the protesters against uh, the current government there? Wouldn't it be something similar to... Um, the foreign ministers of, let's say, Mexico and Canada showing up uh, during the Occupy Wall Street movement and saying, yes, we agree that your government is corrupt. And the third point is, why isn't the West and America talking about the fact that a large or significant portion of the Ukrainian opposition right now is made up of uh, far-right um, politicians, including from the uh, the party Svoboda, which openly is fascist and xenophobic, and they say that they don't want to join the EU because they consider the EU to be a bunch of gays and Jews, just as well as they say that they don't want to join the imperialist Moscow regime. Um, let me let me take take all those uh, very quickly, one at a time. Um, you're right, Yanukovych was elected, yeah, and I, I mentioned this before. Um, I understand the difficult position here, which is that uh, Yanukovych was elected, and we are not in the business of encouraging uh, rebellions and revolutions uh, on the streets against elected leaders, because we ultimately <clears> think <throat> that elections, as you mentioned, are the place in which you should settle your differences. The the issue here is that um, Yanukovych lost his legitimacy to govern when he used force to try to break up these protests. And the United States um, didn't go on to that square in any meaningful way uh, until uh, did. the president tried to break up the peaceful protests. That's why Senator McCain and I went. And we certainly got mm-hmm. a lot of grief from people asking why two U.S. senators are going to the square to support a protest movement against an elected government. We did that because we think that there were human rights and civil rights that were violated there. And we've always stood up for that uh, for that concept. And, and again, I think that answers your second question as to why you had um, foreign ministers and foreign leaders who were on that square. It was because we're standing up for the idea that people should be able to lodge protests against their government. Um, You are right that there is an element of the opposition that has some real radical ideas, and there is an element of anti-Semitism that was present on that square. I will tell you from having been there, um, if there were 500,000 people there, um, maybe a couple thousand of them represented uh, that viewpoint. And so uh, by and large, this movement completely rejects those radical uh, mm-hmm. and prejudicial ideas, <clears throat> and I have confidence that this new government uh, is going to be inclusive and going to be tolerant, and it will be part of our job, I think, as uh, members of the Foreign Relations Committee to make job. sure that those kind of more radical elements don't have a seat at the middle of the table as the coalition government goes forward. It'll be part of their job to decide the next government, right? And also the reason they were there, the reason they, they, him and McCain went was because of, you know, defending human rights, right? Right. Uh, but had nothing to do with what he said just previously, which was that it was economically very interesting for them that the Ukraine would be removed from uh, Russia's sphere of influence and become part of the European Union. So now, what is it? Is it the money or is it the human rights? Do they not? Is there not some kind of a, a contrast between those two? And the other thing he said was that yeah, Yanukovych was elected in 2010 and he was up for re-election in 2015. And why didn't you just wait for a year? Why did you support this kind of a undemocratic coup uh, one year in advance of elections where he could have been voted out of power if that was the will of the people? And he said, well, the answer to that is is that um, he lost Legit- his legitimacy, legitimacy to rule because he had used force, with the police force, 
to break up those protests. Now, have a look at this. Oh, la, la. Now, in case you're wondering, awful what those Russian police are doing to those poor Moscowites. That, that's not uh, from Ukraine in 2014. That's not the evidence that he said. Uh, uh, it's not the evidence of of police in Ukraine in 2014 um, in Kiev using violence to break up a, uh, a protest that led to the delegitimization of Yanukovych and therefore his, you know, being sanctioned, his overthrow being sanctioned by the US. That's just a few days ago in Paris where the French government, Macron, is using violence by the police to break up protesters. But that's fine. There's no human rights violations there. There's no need for an attaboy and cookies uh, in any square in Paris. So, I don't know. As far as I know, tell me. two governments on the earth have condemned it. Uh, the Russian government through foreign ministry spokesperson Zakharova and the Iranian foreign minister who issued a statement saying, we call on the French government to respect human rights and avoid <coughs> resorting to force against the people of its own country who are pursuing their demands peacefully. Mm -hmm. But they enjoyed that. Um, Just one thing we didn't mention on, on Putin, on the ICC, and being arrested for, what was his war crime? Um, abducting children. Abducting children uh, from, a, from a war zone, right? Abducting them, forcibly abducting them, removing them to Russia, right? Now, I mean, who does that? Like, I mean... That's never happened before, right? Only barbaric, authoritarian, non-democratic, non-Western countries. Okay, let's have a look. You ever hear this? Operation Baby Lift. God, was, they didn't actually call it that, did they? Was a name given to the mass evacuation of children from South Vietnam to the United States and other Western countries, Australia, France, West Germany, and Canada, at the end of the Vietnam War. Huh. By the final American flight out of South Vietnam, over 3,300 infants and children had been airlifted, although the actual number has been variously reported. Along with Operation New Life, wow, they weren't, they sure were advertising it, over 110,000 refugees were evacuated. So, <clears throat> 3,300 infants during but, the Vietnam but that's War. that's different. It is how? That's different because America is an exceptional nation. Okay, well, that, that explains everything then. And the exception rules. Okay. So, yep. Everything is one rule for me and another rule for you. That's how America rules the world. Um, the IMF has issued another $16 billion loan to Ukraine this week. It's just, I don't know how that's even going to work. I, by my accounts, they've given in just the last 10 years, $70 billion in loans. Mm. It's funny money, of course, because it comes with conditionalities. Mm. You know, you must perform this way and or you must sell your assets on the cheap to these Western interests, mm -hmm. you know, just total plunder, more of the same, nothing new there. But there is a new development, though, on the Ukraine front at the big level. 
the in addition to the European Union saying, oh, we're going to crank up factories and send them a million shells, the British government says, oh, we can go one better. <laughs> we're going to send depleted uranium shells. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Russia said it sees this as, quote, introducing a nuclear component into the war and would respond accordingly. I think Putin's um, announcement Thursday that Russia is now going to position nuclear weapons in Belarus mm -hmm. this summer from July for the first time since 1996 when they pulled out their nukes mm -hmm. is Russia's kind of response to this for now. Um, the UK government's re reaction to this is interesting. I'll put this up. Their reaction to Putin's response about a nuclear component being introduced. This is, imagine the, the hubris, the freaking... Well, it's same as the American attitude, you know. We're not, we're exceptional. What? Mm. Headline BBC Ukraine war, UK defense sending DU shells after Putin warning. So I think it's the first few paragraphs. The UK Ministry of Defense confirmed it would provide Kiev the armor piercing rounds, but insist, insisted they had a low radiation risk. Depleted uranium is, quote, a standard component and has nothing to do with nuclear weapons. Right. The MOD said, quote, the British Army has used depleted uranium in its armor-piercing shells for decades. Russia mm. knows this. This Look, is deliberately trying to disinform. Hang on a second, you shitheads. Between you and the Americans, you dropped 800 tons of DU Iraq. on Iraq. And although With you've well documented, well documented effects on the local population, i.e. cancer rates going through the roof. Birth defects. Birth defects. There's papers up the wazoo. I four here. I won't even show them. It's well known. I mean, really, the gall to say that after mm. Iraq turned a place into a wasteland. I fear, though, that it does speak to uh, another Russian statement from this week where the headlines snapshot of it was that the West doesn't care if they destroy Ukraine in the process. No. Destroy. I mean, make it uninhabitable. All the all the better, you know, because then Russia won't get it. Right, and they can rebuild. It's Chris Murphy in 2014 wanted to get Ukraine for plunder, and they've got that to some extent to funny money loans and structural conditionalities over the last ten years. But when it comes down to it, the the, the card they always had in their back pocket was that Murphy didn't articulate and didn't expect. It seems in 2014 was that if Russia does fight back, fine then we'll just take a great big dump on the place and they won't get it either. Mm. Or they'll have to spend an awful lot of money cleaning it up. Mm. It's just it's just horrifying. And do these people like? Yeah, yeah, they they they've no idea how they sound. But only the only the dumb or the completely unaware and asleep cannot make the connection. The gall to say, do you? That's normal, mm. you know. And it, you know the risk of radiation is low. I mean, uh, oh. yeah. Uh, I came across uh, something interesting in on by Christine Lagarde, who's the president of the European Central Bank, and um, has been for quite a while. Uh, just put up that article. Formerly on, IMF, yeah, yeah. She's not ECB, and she's talking about the you know inflation and the banking issues over the past few weeks with the. Bank and banks in the US and stuff and uh, Swiss Bank and Credit Suisse and and just go down, you might have to go down and do continue reading to see the paragraph just, yeah continue reading and then um, Lagarde uh, let me see the euro area that, that one there just a just that paragraph. The euro. She says the euro area has suffered a large term a large terms of trade loss. 
owing to rising energy prices. Now, rising energy prices are directly as a result of their sanctions against Russia, cutting off Russian gas and oil to Europe, spiking the price of energy prices up. So she says that the euro has suffered a large terms of trade loss as a result of their own policies the cost of which must ultimately be shared between firms and workers. It is important that there is a fair burden sharing between them, with both accepting that they cannot fully recover the income that the euro area has paid to the rest of the world and the ensuing loss of output, i.e. cannot fully recover. So there's been a loss of actual industrial output to the rest of the world, primarily to America, but to other countries as well. But, you know, it was part of America's plan, the American Biden government's plan, basically, in <clears throat> in uh, blowing up the Nord Stream 2 pipelines and pushing for this war in Ukraine to hobble or to you know reduce the output of the European economy in favor of America. And here she's saying it's that she's she's saying that's actually what happened. And the fact that it cannot be recovered, there's a loss of output that is not coming back mm-hmm. more or less ever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah. it's just in there in her speech, and it's like it's just yeah. it's just I saw it's an, economic speech type thing. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like an economic language and arcane. But she's actually saying what she's literally saying is that yeah, we've basically screwed ourselves over here by siding with America over this war with Ukraine that they prov- that America provoked. Uh, part of it was to screw over Russia, but obviously part of it, part of the plan was to screw over us, Europe, the European European economies by America, and to transfer output, industrial output from the European Union to America, and that's all fine, because it's just business, right? Yeah, there's another clip of her touting her her solution to all things. Um, Maybe we need to do a separate separate show topic on it to be better informed, but this whole thing about uh, the push for central banking, central banks having a centralized digital currency, Mm -hmm. I presume that means shifting away completely from paper money mm-hmm. at all it's all digital banking all central bank control well it already is i suppose already but um the the new thing was that she she was i think she got caught out she thought she was speaking to Zelensky, and she was speaking to mm-hmm. those russian pranksters yep. who are pushing on her on her for some examples mm-hmm. uh, i don't have the clip to hand but she says at the moment for example um there are you're limited in how much you can pay for a transaction with cash at I don't know, 5,000 euros or something. We want to bring that way down. It'll become way down to the hundreds, you know. This is all like the... I I think what I'm getting at, maybe we need to explore it more, but what I'm getting at, I think that she sees the only kind of viable solution for the sum of all these crises is um, because of the loss of output, less resources, as Macron said, we are now in the, we're no longer in the age of abundance. There's going to be less of everything. Mm-hmm. It's like musical chairs. We got to make it all fit in yep. a much tighter environment. Centralized economy. They need to control currencies and therefore what people can and can't do. The limits how much, to how what much money buy. they have, how much they spend. We, 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 we got to stop inflation, right? The best way to stop inflation is to, uh, is to limit people uh, from what people purchase, right? So you might. As of now, you increase interest rates to try and stop people borrowing and spending money. But, I mean, there's a far better way to do that, right? You just directly stop them spending money by reducing the amount of money that they actually have access to. Um, we downplayed, so to speak, for now, the risk of a financial kiflui yeah. last week. But, you know, this there's, there's shit's happening. Uh, Deutsche, wow. Is Deutsche Bank in trouble now? No, nah, it's fine. 
it's fine. Yeah. There, yeah, I don't know. No, I mean, it's fine right now. It's fine right now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> both Biden and Schultz issued <clears throat> statements of reassurance this week. Oh boy, when they, but again, like when they have to when issue a denial, you're, you just start to go, oh, okay, I'm not sure about that. Um, it's basically, have, it's fine right now, and in the small, small print, the terms and conditions apply. The state, the fine state of the uh, Western banking system may or may not uh, remain fine. Uh, here's here's a real world for the effect. Feasible future. Real world effect. Just last week, this is NBC News. Um, shit is happening, huh? I don't know what. It, it, this is just a drop in the ocean, probably. But it was enough of a newsworthy event for NBC to write a story about it. Um, Headline, nearly $100 billion in deposits pulled from banks where, I'm not sure, I presume just in the U.S., mm -hmm. officials, I presume American, call system, quote, sound and resilient. Um, and Biden's starting to get, he's being asked at every turn. Huh? He was in Ottawa last week for some powwow with um, that fascist Trudeau. And uh, he was asked about, um, sir... Something like, sir, should we be worried? Um, this is his response. It's not reassuring. When Biden has to reassure you, you know, like, you got to wonder, how close are we? How confident are you that the problem is contained? And if it spreads, what measures such as guaranteeing more deposits are you willing or not willing to take? First of all, have you ever known Wall Street not in consternation? Number what? One. Hmm. Uh, Look, I think we've done a pretty damn good job. Damn People's good job. Uh, savings are secure. And sure. uh, even those beyond the $250,000, uh, the FDIC is guaranteeing them that the American taxpayer is not going to have to pay a penny. Well, mine is secure. I don't know about yours. Shape. What's going on in Europe is not a direct consequence of what's happening in the United States. And uh, I, uh, what we would do is if we find that there's more instability than appears. We'd be in a position to have the FDIC use the power it has to guarantee those those loans above 250, like they did already. And so, I think it's going to take a little while for things to just calm down. But I don't see anything that's on the horizon that's about to explode. Um, but I, I I I do understand the unease about this. And these mid-sized banks have to be able to survive. And, you know, uh, something on, is on the horizon that's that. about to explode, you know. When, when Biden doesn't see anything on the horizon about to explode, there's probably something on the horizon you about to explode. You should get out of Dodge. <laughs> um, <laughs> People know that they're voting with the money. Right. The well, withdrawal of deposits. Well, although 98 billion is a, yeah, like you said, a drop. I don't know there. Yeah, how big that is. But wow. it was noteworthy. Someone noted and thought, oh, we should write a story about that. Yeah. Um, uh, want to do a quick thing on, we haven't talked about it in a while, COVID. The co hasn't gone away, you know. What? The COVID. Remember the COVID? Um, no, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay, it's this thing that was going on there a few years ago, um, and it killed a lot of people, and so did uh, the government solution to it. Anyway, Australian government, uh, if you just want to throw it up there, Australian government, Department of Health, this is, it's been declassified effectively. It was produced in January 2021. It's uh, the Department of Health, uh, is their therapeutic goods administration, which basically means medicines administration from <coughs> the Australian Department of Health, official government uh, document released uh, called Non-Clinical Evaluation Report of the Pfizer COVID-19 Vaccine. It's a fairly long document and it's got a lot of sciencey type stuff in it. But uh, John Campbell, 
um, on YouTube, if you look him up, he's been on this COVID thing for quite a long time. He's he's had a change of heart in, in recent months uh, about the whole situation and what actually went on and what's going on right now. And he's been focusing on uh, on the vaccines to, to a certain extent. Uh, and uh, as most people know, there are side effects from the vaccines. That's attested to by everybody. But this report is interesting because part of it's still redacted. Uh, but what it does reveal is that in January 2021, the Australian government and therefore most other governments would have access to the same information, probably had the same report um, into the vaccines and their efficacy, uh, shows that they knew that, uh, if you remember at the time, we were all told that the vaccines only stayed at the site of the injection. They didn't go any further. The mRNA, uh, the kind of lipid nanoparticles uh, that carried the RNA stayed at the site and that's what it just immunity was provoked at the site type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, in this report from January 2021, before Australia had actually rolled out the vaccine, before most countries had rolled out their vaccines, uh, this study showed that it actually uh, spread systemically throughout the entire body into all major organs. There's a long, long list in this in this study or in this uh, report uh, of all the different organs in the body and parts of the body where the, uh, the vaccine um, actually spread to. So it was a big lie at the time was the only conclusion you can when they had this information knowing that it spread to all, to all parts of the body but officially everybody was told that it stayed at the site of injection that was a lie and what's the problem with it spreading to all parts of the body well the problem is that um i mean the reason they said the reason they tried to assure people that it stayed only at the site of injection was because there it was by anybody who has any sense for anybody who has any sense it was you know it, it raised potential uh, concerns serious concerns if it spread systemically throughout the body, which it did. And obviously, you know, there's been so little actual official government. There's been behind the scenes studies and reports done on it that were not revealed. This is one that has been revealed, um, showing that they were concerned about these things, about it spreading systemically. And um, But they basically didn't look into it. You know, how long it lasts, for example, when we're told it breaks down in a couple of days and stuff. Well, they... In this report, it shows that they checked it after up to 48 hours and then they just didn't check it any longer. It could have been, you know, the the mm-hmm. the, uh, the lipid nanoparticles, how long it actually remained active within your body, i.e. Because it's, the, it's the, the, the RNA within the lipid nanoparticle that enters the cell and instructs the cell to make the spike protein on cells of your body. It basically turns the cells, any, and this is the problem, if it's spreading all around your body, then any cell within, within any part of your body, including your brain, including within your, uh, within your bone marrow, where, you know, where actual, where most of your cells are actually produced and where all of your immune, a lot of your immune cells are produced, it turns all of those cells into kind of hybrid versions in a certain sense of the, um, SARS-CoV-2 virus. Um, by forcing your cells, manipulating, hijacking your cells to instruct them to produce the spike protein on the outside of your own cells. The spike protein that mm-hmm. is normally on the outside of the, which is the antigen on the outside of the um, the virus. Now your cells are, are, are producing that on the, the exterior of, of themselves, of their cells, um, which provokes immune response. But the problem there is the obvious immediate go-to question is, well, won't that provoke... Um, and rather than it just being, it just creating that, causing your cells to produce that spike protein temporarily for a day or something like that, and just provoking this immune response, uh, is that happening over a long period of time? And is it happening everywhere in your body? Because ultimately, whenever your cells are producing or being instructed by this mRNA technology to 
produce that spike protein on the, on the outside of them, your own immune system sees them as hostile invaders mm-hmm. and attacks them and often kills them. So basically, the question is, are we, is it producing an autoimmune, autoimmune conditions? Is it possible that it could be producing autoimmune conditions by spreading all throughout your body um, and instructing many cells in different parts of your body to become enemies of your own body, to be seen as enemies of your own body. Uh, they knew this at the time, that that's what was happening, and they knew that it was a concern, but they didn't bother looking into it and released the vaccine anyway. It's an experimental vaccine. It's exp- and not only is it experimental, it's experimental in the context of them knowing that this particular experiment could well have serious negative health effects on the people who receive it, but we're not going to follow it up and look into the actual potential for that to happen because we just got to get the vaccine rolled out. So let's get go ahead and do it. Yeah. So that's basically uh, such mind. That's where we are. Campbell also had a a little video on this preprint. Mm. Want to have a look at this one? The preprint study. Yeah, just showing the. <clears throat> yeah, it, I thought his response to it was hilarious. This we'll one, get to that in a minute. This one pretty much shows, it's a preprint, but it shows, it's a really well-researched study, and it shows a direct correlation between increased excess deaths and the number of people who, the number of people who received the vaccine. This is just a URL for it, but people can download the PDF there at that link. The key part in the study says, <clears throat> the interaction between vaccination uptake and time passed in months since the beginning of 2022 is strongly significant and implies that the mortality increases the higher the vaccination uptake. Specifically, it shows that a one percentage point increase in 2021 vaccination uptake is associated with an increase in 2022 monthly mortality by 0.1%. That's a tenth of one percent. So 10%. But that's caused by a 10% increase in excess mortality caused by the vaccines, basically. Well, to be clear, it's all cause mortality. They didn't, they saw a correlation. They couldn't say, and they didn't claim in the right. study. They said, this is overall deaths, right, mm-hmm. from anything. But they then go on to try to rule out as much as possible cofactors, but they still leave it as strongly significant. Well, they also That's said that in 2021, in, uh, this is in, um, in 2022, so 2022, all cause, uh, excess all-cause mortality in 2020 and 2021 and they, and they compared the the average to before the five-year average before, beforehand right yeah. before before 2020 but in 2020 and 2021 you had excess deaths as a result of covid let's say that's what yeah. that's that's officially so when you have a, a significant number of excess deaths in, historically in any one year the following year you have much reduced deaths right. because you've wiped it's the it's the, the dry, dry tender the dry tender right the british government statisticians who call people who are basically have one foot in the grave, dry tender. If this winter season they're not bumped off by a flu or a cold or something, they're, they definitely, next they're definitely going next year. And yeah. when they go that next year, then you're going to have a reduced number the following year because you just simply don't have as many vulnerable people to die. Uh-huh. So, uh, so, it so in 2022, there should have been a significantly lower, lower number of excess deaths compared to previous years. And even compared to, not just to 2020, not just to 2020 and 2021, the COVID years, but also lower than 2019 because and 2018 yeah. because the people who were in those years who were kind of waiting to die died in 2020, 2020 and 2021 and in 2022 you didn't have really that many people to 
to slip this mortal coil. So, uh, but you did have in 2022 a significant increase in excess deaths. So, what's it attributable to? What happened in 2020? What happened in 2021 leading into 2022? Well, let us not say it. Let's do a John Campbell on it. Can we play the last minute of his video? So, yeah. we've just told you what he, Dr. Campbell's description outlined. of this preprint. He says it's significant that that um, tenth of a percent correlation is statistically significant. He agrees with the research uh, suggestion or conclusion. He acknowledges now that this is a preprint, which means it's not been peer-reviewed. But the reason he's even bothered to discuss it at all is because, in his opinion, this because kind of preprint of will never make it. Because of what it says. Because of the core claim. Not, not, because, of, not because of its methodology or because it's not sound, but because of the it's, conclusion the, it draws based on solid for the, science. Yeah. So having having gone through the paper and quoted directly from it, this is what he says at the end of this short video. So that's the end of this video. I've uh, nothing more to say on that now. On a completely separate matter, I've been um, thinking of might might go to the States and take up some, uh, start playing basketball. Nothing, I'd probably just start with semi-pro and then build up. But uh, I've been looking at the terminology and apparently um, you have something called a slam dunk in basketball and this is a, literally a goal scored in the basket by by putting the ball straight down into the loop with one's hand so that's a slam dunk uh, the same points as a traditional basket but it's a show of force dominance and skill so a slam dunk is something that is a uh, completely uh, convincing as I say, nothing to do with this uh, today's talk, um, but I'll need to use the correct terminology for when I'm playing basketball in the States. So do look out for me. I'm quite optimistic about it. Uh, but for now, <laughs> thank you for watching. <laughs> you legend. Okay, that's all we have to say on the topic. If that's all he's saying, that's a mic drop. We can leave it there. Um, but, you know, shit, others are saying it too. Look at this headline. I know this is not the Washington Post, but it's still a serious newspaper in the United States. Let's just look at the headline. This is last week. Not sure what new development they're basing this on, but uh, we could have told you this in January 2020. Headline, Washington Times. Vaccines don't work. Masks don't work. Everything government told us about COVID-19 was wrong. Well, it's nice to say I told you so, but... It's not really that nice given given what happened, given what people missed out on. We refer to it en passant, as they say, um, for comparison with the Maidan. But tell me now, a week later, with more intense riots and burning going on in France, do you have any, what? any more, what do you think? In France? Yeah, revolution. Nah, powerful course in France. It's, just, it's, it's still just another Tuesday. Yeah, it's another Tuesday. A uh, couple of th- couple oh, of things. Macron barely survived the no confidence vote, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, votes. it's all. Everything is in flux at this point. Everything is up in the air. I mean, they're all feeling that you know, especially in Western countries, and they're getting more and more desperate. Uh, they're doubling down on their reality denial, and that just means that there's going to be more chaos. They're going to be taking actions that are increasingly uh, divorced from reality, and they're going to get a kickback from. Uh, well, from reality, let's say, and also from people, the people that make up the, the reality-based community, let's say. Mm. Um, this one is, um, there was a, I just thought it was interesting. Um, 
I know it's not that unusual. Uh, it happens quite a lot in America, but it's uh, it's enrolling. Or oh, sorry, that's not that's the wrong one. Uh, well, we'll just talk about that one for a second. That was going to be my next one. Elon Musk a week ago just tweeted that press at twitter.com now auto responds with a poop emoji. Um, like that's just all you get. Like so, like press at twitter.com is for any journalists who want to ask him any questions or find out what's going on on Twitter. They they would send a tweet or uh, you know their questions to press at twitter.com. And <laughs> any time they and any of them do that, they just all it just automatically responds with a poop emoji. That's it. That's the only response they get. <laughs> and then Vice did a story on it, and they said we asked Twitter about hosting anti-Semitism, and it responded with a poop emoji. And it was anti-Semitic. <laughs> the, the, the the subheading is anti-Semitic tweets have more than doubled since Elon Musk took over the platform. A new study found its automated response wasn't a good look. <laughs> so, so Vice are like what about anti-Semitism Twitter what are you doing you fascist and just like poop emoji poop emoji um, anyway back to what I was saying arch uh, troll that guy yeah um, this one is uh, rolling what's it called rolling fork pretty crazy um, I know like I said it's not that unusual for the US but it was um, oh tornadoes yeah last night uh, it really, it, it was like, have a look. It's just silent uh, drone footage of it. <clears throat> it's nuts. It's nuts to me that they're, that their houses are still all made of wood. I, Sorry, Americans, I don't get it. Yeah. I understand well, some of y'all can't afford it and so on, but. But that's one factor. But you, if you don't look, want to get smacked by a tornado. You look at some of this footage, and it's like the car, their cars just tossed around, like not right, just cars, maybe. but semi trucks and shipping containers, like bent, right, in half, and semis with their trailers tossed up, tossed around in the air. So I'm not even sure uh, if you're in the middle of that, uh, any kind of uh, not even brick and mortar. Will yeah, save exactly. Look at look at that two semi trucks. Crazy. Too, like I don't know if they were falling up, but like you know, you could say they're definitely, you know, ten tons more. Crazy. Um, it's just a wasteland, like in this relatively small community, but twenty six people dead, and trees just shredded. Um, it's that time of the year, isn't it? Tornado Alley. I suppose is it March? March begins. Yeah, right off the bat. Can be though, earlier. You know? Has been earlier some years. Yeah, hard to say. Time. You know, the I used to pay pretty close attention to it, but then I looked up some stats, and you can get a few years in a row where it's mental, but then you can get a fairly quiet years. You know, mm-hmm. both in the intensity of any individual outbreak mm-hmm. and overall through the year. Yeah, some years it's just really bad. It just scours everything. Wow. I think there's a there's an image of the a shot of the uh we saw it already, did we? A shot of uh of a shipping container just like uh, bent around a pole or something like that, you know. It's like sheet metal from a the roof of something. Wrap around trees. 
It'd be crazy then with one of those things, you know. And it's weird the way it happens in America, you know. That I mean, there aren't many countries that have so, or any other countries I think that have those kind of regular tornadoes barreling through. And look at that shipping container, like that yellow thing. Yeah, white thing is a shipping container wrapped around a tree. Right. There. Stuff's happening elsewhere too. Yeah, but with France the consistency March, that America has, it, you know. I know, I know. On, on this, on this thing, France in March, just three weeks into it, I saw a report last year, uh, last uh, week. Yeah, um, it's on the increase. Recorded the most electrical, most lightning strikes for any March. Now it's only four decades old. Mm. There's consistent monitoring of it, but still, it stood out. You know. Yeah. There's this just on the same topic. Uh, uh, there's something in here that's kind of poignant. I'll just I'll get you to stop it at the at, at the point there. It's just a, the BBC. It's inside of a, um, a school as, this, as the tornado hit. Just play it there, and I'll let you know when to stop it. Stop there. Uh, that I just saw the sign on the written on a little blackboard. On the left there, by the, obviously by the staff or teachers, it says, the dinosaurs didn't read. Look what happened to them. <laughs> yeah. Education may not help Yeah, for what's coming. Not state education. Well, anyway. is, it the, is, it, is it a dinosaur? You know, are humans? You know, like, is that what separates us? Are we going to mass in nature? Or the same fate as the dinosaurs, you know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's just kind of crazy in the school at the time, but I'll not not bother playing it. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all I got for for this week. Do we miss anything? Anything important? I don't think so. No, although uh, th- that political headline, it, it just goes back to our opening topic about the geopolitical impact of what's going on with America saying we're still number one, baby, and Russia and China saying, oh, no, you're not anymore, actually. Um, I'm not sure what it's saying, but um, it is true that I think Macron and Schultz and the Spanish Prime Minister, immediately after Xi returned from Moscow, put out um, requests to be invited to Beijing for meetings. Mm-hmm. And so Politico noted this. This is Politico EU, but whatever. Politico is pro-US, pro-Western outlet, right? The headline, we can't lose China, EU leaders say. Mm-hmm. Sub-headline, Xi Jinping's blooming bromance with Vladimir Putin is freaking EU leaders out. Now they're booking flights to Beijing. Yep. I did, it's just for me, again, it goes back to like, is Kirby serious when he says, man, it's just a fleeting, you know, marriage of convenience. Oh, he's deluded. Like, like, or did, and similarly in Europe, did they see that and go, I didn't expect that at all. This, mm-hmm. this is very worrying. Well, I'm shocked. I'm going to go to Beijing and make sure yeah, that well, I e- didn't misinterpret the, that. The EU has a lot more, there's a bit more reality in, in, in that statement because, I mean, the EU has a lot more to lose and is a lot more vulnerable position than the US when it comes to, you know, the breaking up of the current world order and sanctions and, and the flow of energy and the flow of goods and all that kind of stuff. America, over in Fortress America, across the ocean, you know, they've got their own resources and I suppose they figure they can... Uh, weather any any storms you know right, a, lot, on, a, lot, a lot better than the eu you know yeah um and it's i get the impression the eu you know eu leaders as delusional as they are um 
you know, they engage in this kind of rhetoric, anti-Russian, anti-China rhetoric and all that kind of stuff. And they think it's all just, that's just politics. That's what you do. You know, not, it's not personal. You know, we just say that kind of stuff. But then they kind of crap their pants and they go, no, when, when they see China and Russia in particular, but China, China, China in particular, um, kind of starting to take what they're saying seriously. So, so you belligerent to us. So you don't want to do business anymore. You, you want to do sanctions. We take you at your, at your word and we respond in kind. And they're like, no, 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 what, no, that's not how it works. It's just, you know, we just say stuff. I mean, we got to justify our jobs, right? We got to talk it up and talk like strong man in a crisis and stuff like, you know, and, you know, I got to justify my position. You know, you don't take it seriously. Like, we're not going to really do it. You know, China's like, no, too late. Sorry. I already uh, acted on your, on your, on your statements. statements. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Bad Chinese action. Anyway, um, well, we leave it there. We did miss one thing and it's Scotty's birthday today. Happy birthday, Scott. Mr. Scott, our sound man. Yay! That's it. And our key driver. Oh, he's super. He's super. He's had. He hasn't had enough birthdays to be, to be a, uh, to have to have dampened his spirit, his his enthusiasm for birthdays yet. He hasn't. He can't wait for the show to end because yeah. it's birthday time. It's birthday time. Yeah. Anyway, so happy birthday to Scotty and to all of you. Thanks for watching, listening and commenting. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'll be back next week with another one on whatever crap's been happening between now and then. So, um, yeah, until then, stay safe and we'll see you later. See you all next week. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.